0: Good morning and welcome to Connecting Vets Daily. Yeah, you heard me right. The morning briefing is no more. Long live Connecting Vets Daily. New name for the show. Also, some format changes that are going to be coming your way soon. But for today, it'll still be the same format under the new name, Connecting Vets Daily. And coming up on the first edition of this brand spanking new rebranded show, we've got two fantastic interviews headed your way. We're going to talk to Tom Porter, Legislative Director of IAVA, on the eve, even though it's the morning, of Election Tuesday. That's right, tomorrow. There are a lot of veterans running for office, and they are going to play apart, those who get elected anyway, in the upcoming legislation for the next year, including that which affects veterans. And we're going to talk to Tom about all of that good stuff coming up later on. And also Karen Wooster. she is the executive director of Wreaths Across America, a wonderful program that started off with just she and her husband wanting to basically show some respect for the veterans who have given their lives, who are buried at Arlington National Cemetery. Started off pretty small, has grown exponentially, and is now a wonderful nationwide project. Takes place every year, and we're going to talk to Karen about, well, where that program came from, how it's developed, and what you can do to get involved in wreaths across America. So all of that is coming up later on today, but first, let's get to the headlines. And the big headline that I started noticing uh, yesterday, as yesterday was Sunday, good morning Martha, good morning Jennifer, uh, the... Television show SNL, a.k.a. Saturday Night Live. Are you familiar with it? I haven't watched an episode of Saturday Night Live without being forced to in many, many years. And the forced to part came from working in radio in New York where uh, the editor liked to record Saturday Night Live in case something happened on there that was newsworthy. So I did have to watch it for, uh, oh, a year and a half while I was doing that job and didn't enjoy it all that much. Got to be honest with you. I mean, it's difficult what they do. Doing a live comedy show every week, it's hard to come up with, Funny skits and funny jokes to fill an hour plus every week. I fully understand that. However, you'd think they could aim a little bit higher than the war wounds of an American hero. But that is exactly what happened on this Saturday's edition of SNL. During the weekend update segment, Pete Davidson, perhaps known best for being dumped by Ariana Grande a couple of weeks ago, uh, a cast member on the show, Basically said that uh, Dan Crenshaw, former guest of the show, friend of the show, and congressional candidate down in Texas 2nd District, said that he looked like a hitman from a porn movie. Okay, so we're going after people's looks now, are we? (laughs) Okay, sure we are. (laughs) That doesn't seem like a nice thing to do, particularly when it comes to someone's appearance due to an IED, taking their eye, nearly taking both eyes, nearly taking their life. So uh, during this weekend update segment, the character that Pete Davidson was playing said, yeah, I know he lost his eye in war or whatever, whatever. That's pretty much exactly how he said it, Uh, which a lot of people took to be a bit of an insult and to be uh, a bit of... Well, not comedy, certainly. Dan Crenshaw tweeted about this, and that's what I was wondering. What response will we get from Dan Crenshaw? I imagined it would be a gentlemanly response, and that's exactly what we got from the congressional candidate down in Texas 2nd District. Here's his tweet. Good rule in life. I try hard not to offend. I try harder not to be offended. That being said, I hope SNL recognizes that vets don't deserve to see their wounds used as punchlines for bad jokes. There you go. There's not much more to be said about it. But of course, people are going to say more about it. And one, and we're actually going to be talking to a representative of his organization, is the founder of IAVA, Paul Rykoff who basically put out a tweet uh, trying to give some context to who Pete Davidson is. His tweet saying, Before everyone gets the pitchforks out for Pete Davidson over last night's bad joke, it's worth remembering he's not just some random insensitive comedian. He knows a thing or two about war himself. He was seven when his dad was killed on 9-11. It's pretty well known, I think, that Pete Davidson's father, who was a firefighter in New York, lost his life, uh, gave his life on September 11th, Um, I don't know what sort of context that provides for this joke. I don't think the fact that his father being killed in the terrorist attacks of September 11th give him a free pass to mock a medically retired Navy SEAL who, again, lost one eye, nearly lost the other, nearly lost his life. It's a miracle of modern medicine that Dan Crenshaw is still with us today. I, I just don't know what Pete Davidson losing his father has to do with the joke. Also, a question about that, he knows a thing or two about war himself, because he was seven when his father was killed on September 11th, which was an act of war, certainly. What does that mean about what he knows about war? My grandfather served in World War II, fought in World War II, died when I was six years old or so. I didn't know anything about war until I, you know, went to war. So I, I, I question that a little bit. I understand what PJ was trying to do there uh, to show that Pete Davidson has honored his father and first responders. Uh, has nothing to do with what he did on Saturday night, though, and what he did in front of a national audience, uh, mocking someone again who, who it's a miracle that he's still alive and is a true American hero. Someone who deployed back to Afghanistan again after losing that eye. So, you know, there's there's a lot of outrage over this. Um, Dan Crenshaw doesn't seem as too outraged. He just says, you know, I'd rather you don't use my wounds as a punchline for a bad joke. There you go, from the man himself, uh, former guest of the show, and it's looking like he's got a a pretty good chance of being elected tomorrow on Election Day. When he's in D.C., Dan has told us uh, that he will definitely come in and visit us uh, as often as possible, which probably won't be that often, but we look forward to having him in here uh, and talking more about this issue and about... You know, the fact that he is a wounded warrior who it's pretty clear that he was wounded because he has the eye patch over the eye, the glass eye, which I've seen in person, which is has the Navy SEAL trident inside of it. Uh, Again, running for office down in Texas. Some of the people responding to SNL's bad joke saying, hey, you know what? I wasn't aware of who Dan Crenshaw was before this. Now I am and now I have nothing but the most respect for him. So there you go. Something positive, I suppose, can come out of that. We've also got another positive story here, and this is one that we've been seeing more of lately. A soldier who was killed in the Korean War is finally being laid to rest 68 years later. Army Sergeant First Class James Jimmy Silas Streetman Jr. was laid to rest at Fort Benning with full military honors this Saturday. He was 20 years old when he was killed guarding the Coom River line near the town of Taejon in Korea. Streetman's remains weren't identified, and he was buried at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific in Hawaii. But the family submitted DNA samples in 2001 in hopes of finding the brother. And as technology advanced over the last 17 years, they finally did. And the Army notified the family in September that they had found Sergeant First Class Streetman's remains, and he has now been laid to rest at Fort Benning with full military honors. Uh, a wonderful story to see that, you know, obviously not wonderful that he was killed in action, but wonderful that his family finally getting some closure on this. And we've seen more of these stories lately, some of them coming from the remains being repatriated by the North Koreans who had some of those remains in their possession and were essentially just keeping them. I mean, our relationship with North Korea, I don't think I need to tell you. It's been fraught (laughs) over the years. It's been a bit difficult. Things have thawed a little bit recently under the current administration, but it goes back and forth. In fact, North Korea now threatening to resume nuclear testing due to some sanctions that were levied against them. So this is not a done deal. We're not going to be holding hands with Kim Jong-un and tra la -la and through the field across the DMZ. That's not going to happen anytime soon, but we have seen more remains of Korean war soldiers repatriate That's been getting the most ink, the most press. But then you also have these, these unidentified service members whose remains we were in possession of. We just didn't know who it was for various reasons because there was no identifying paperwork or dog tags or anything on them when they were located and they were uh, unable to be identified. Some of them, you know, in the horrible ways that one can be killed in warfare may not be easily identifiable. And in this case, it took science advancing to the point where they could test more deeply and more stringently on the DNA. But they were able to do so, and Sergeant First Class James Jimmy Silas Streetman Jr. finally laid to rest this past Saturday. In a not-so-good story, we're going to have another funeral, this one for another U.S. service member killed in an apparent insider attack, this one in Kabul, Afghanistan, this Saturday. Uh, NATO announced that the attacker was a member of the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces Uh, The attacker was immediately killed by other Afghan forces. So one of these insider attacks were one of the uh, trainees, it looks like, from what I've been reading in this story. Someone who had recently joined the Afghan National Army or National Police. It's not uh, clear exactly which uh, version of their National Armed Forces he was uh, training for. But um, they're still investigating it and they'll figure out uh, exactly what was going on there. And this is... Just on the heels of the insider attack that was targeting Brigadier General Jeffrey Smiley, the head of the NATO mission in southeast Afghanistan, that was just two weeks ago. Army General Scott Miller, commander of all U.S. and NATO forces, was also targeted but was unharmed. General Smiley, of course, uh, was injured in the attack on him. And the... Identification of the soldier who was killed in that insider attack has been released. He was Major Brent Taylor, member of the Utah Army National Guard. He was also the mayor of North Ogden, Utah killed in that insider attack. He was 39 years old, military intelligence officer with Utah's Joint Force Force Headquarters, serving with the Special Operations Joint Task Force in Afghanistan when he was killed, according to a statement from the Utah Guard. Another soldier was wounded in the same attack, said to be in stable condition after receiving medical treatment at Bagram Airfield. Um, Yeah, so this is... Obviously not a good story. It's something that you don't want to see. Uh, We're learning more and more about the major who was killed, including a statement from the North Ogden City Facebook page saying, We are devastated by the loss of our mayor and friend Brent Taylor. Our hearts and thoughts go to Jenny, their children, and other family members as they deal with this tragic loss. We love them and hope they will feel the love and support of all of us in North Ogden. Site went on to describe the profound influence, according to Army Times, that Taylor had on the community, a city of more than 17,000 people, 45 miles north of Salt Lake City. This is... Um yeah, uh, Just a horrible story. He had deployed in January. He was part of an advisory team that was sent to train members of an Afghan commando battalion, according to the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, who posted updates on Facebook of the work he was doing and photos over there, photos of him uh, with the Afghan trainees and everything that was going on over there. He was commissioned into the army in July 2006. This was his fourth deployment. He deployed to Iraq twice in 2006 and again in 2007 and then served in Afghanistan previously in 2012. Uh, He was a Purple Heart and Bronze Star recipient for his service in Iraq uh, and on his most this most recent deployment deployed as a combat advisor to the Afghan Border Police. Major General Jefferson Burton, Adjutant General of the Utah Guard, released a statement saying, Today we mourn the loss of a remarkable American. Major Brent Taylor was a patriot whose personal life resonated with excellence. From his commitment to education to his passion for politics, Brent was dedicated to making a difference and has now been killed in a a senseless, senseless crime is really what it is. These insider attacks are are horrifying, something that thankfully I didn't have to, to personally witness, but was there for the after effects of one we had just flown out from a place called op north uh, up in rc north in afghanistan where afghan national army soldier turned his gun on a german crew that were performing maintenance on a vehicle and killed uh, one of them i believe uh, that that was horrifying and then shortly after I left a bomb uh, was brought in by someone who was dressed like a member of the Afghan National Police uh, set off that bomb which killed uh, two members of the close protection team for the commander of RC North and injured that commander Major General Marcus knipe of the German army the Bundeswehr who at that time became the highest ranking officer uh, injured in action in Afghanistan just horrible things and they've been going on for a long time and it's It's hard to say that there would be a way to to stop it. The problem is, and this goes back to, uh, you know, when you talk about the president's travel ban and other things. One of the things that's brought up with that travel ban and one of the things that's brought up when you talk about Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, failed states, essentially, is that it's very difficult to vet who anyone is to figure out who someone is, what their background is. In Afghanistan, you're talking about a place where, you know, birth certificates aren't really a thing. Many people there don't even know their own birth date. So how is the government going to know it? And if someone doesn't know their own birth date, the government doesn't know their own, uh, their citizen's birthday, how are they going to know where that citizen's uh, uh, feelings may lie? You know, unless this is someone that has previously been arrested, which you would think would make them ineligible for joining the Afghan National Army or police. Okay, you would think that would prohibit them from that. But we've also had programs in the past where members of the Taliban, were welcomed in to the Afghan National Army or the Afghan National Police as long as they, you know, uh, came out of the mountains and said, hey, you know, we're, we're on your side now. The problem that they found with that is in uh, quite a few cases, they would come down in the wintertime because, yes, it gets very cold in Afghanistan in the wintertime, a lot of snow and all that stuff. They would come down out of the mountains, join the Afghan National Army or Afghan National Police or the local police or whatever the case may be for the winter months. And then as soon as it warmed up, they'd go back out into the mountains, dig up their AK-47s and resume their activities as members of the Taliban or the Haqqani Network, being insurgents. It, there's no way to verify who they are. Again, you can't even tell what someone's birthday is. How are you going to know anything more about them? It's not like you can go to the uh you know the Mazri Sharif DMV and look somebody up, or you're gonna you're gonna go online to some sort of government database that the Afghan have uh in Afghanistan. As Michael says, working with ANA, AMP, and ISAF, and it's uh it's a confusing situation over there. It's a confusing country. People have asked me what I thought about it, and one of the things that I bring up is that the Afghan national identity doesn't really exist. I mean, yeah, there are people who are, are proud Afghans, but really they are they tend to be more uh, closely tied and affiliated with their tribal groups, with their villages, uh, with uh, their 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 language. I mean, you have two different languages, two main different languages, along with several others throughout the country. You have uh, Dari in the north, Pashto in the south. I mean, you have d- just, just different cultures within the same country that have been fighting each other for hundreds of years. And as Michael says on Facebook Live, where you can find us at 7.15 a.m. every morning, says, we never trusted them. And I know there was a lot of that going on over there, and a lot of it for good reason. When you have these insider attacks taking place, it's hard to trust those people uh, who are committing them, you know? And it's obviously, it's not everybody there who's doing it. But when it does happen, you know, you, you have to ask those questions. And they're difficult questions to answer. Very difficult. It's a mess over there. And it has been for a very, very long time. And it probably will be for a long time into the future. I just don't see it changing any time soon in the nation of Afghanistan, which, again, was—it's not a nation as you would think of it, you know? It's a nation that's almost consistently in a state of civil war, where you have fighting going on between villages and going on between regions and tribes, and it's just— not a pleasant thing. It's very, very difficult to figure out, but uh, the, the key is here. the major gave his life uh, from all appearances, was an amazing army officer, also an amazing civic servant as made amazing civil servant as the mayor of North Ogden, Utah. and unfortunately his life was taken from us this weekend again. Major Brent Taylor, 39 years old, military intelligence officer with Utah's Joint Force Headquarters of the Utah National Guard. Rest in peace, Major Taylor. Got a story coming in from West Virginia that's a bit distressing, and this is in the town of Fairmont, where police are investigating an act of vandalism at the Baptist Temple Church. Why are we talking about it on a show that focuses on veteran and military issues? Well, I'll tell you. As is being reported by Channel 12 WBOY out there in West Virginia, there was a display on the grounds of this church, crosses and flags to honor the veterans from the area who had given their lives over the years. And apparently someone drove their vehicle through that yard, damaging a number of the crosses and tearing up the lawn. This is a display that's been... Uh, It's been taking place at this Baptist temple in Fairmont, West Virginia, for more than 20 years, and they've never had an issue with this. Uh, Now someone deciding to drive their vehicle through and knock over crosses and flags at this display. Just horrible. And you wonder where people are, are getting the idea to do things like this. I would certainly never think of doing that, even for a display that I didn't care for. I just wouldn't. Because someone obviously did care about it, cared enough to put it up. So for more than 20 years, they've been doing it, um, and people on social media and in neighborhoods around the church uh, are voicing their feelings on social media. The church itself has said in a statement, we put a lot of time and effort into this. We spent the last two days putting these up, and then in a matter of seconds, someone damages it. But we'll fix the damage, and if someone does it again, we'll fix it again. That's Bill Poe. He's a member of the Baptist Temple in Fairmont, a veteran also, who served for over 20 years. Uh, Before even their service yesterday took place and started, the church members were actually putting uh, the flags and crosses back up in Fairmont, West Virginia. But, you know, who does that? Who drives a vehicle over crosses and flags and destroys them, even if you don't know what this was for? Even if you don't know what the display was symbolizing or memorializing, who gets it in their head that, oh, look, crosses and flags, I'm going to go drive my car through those? A crazy person, I guess. Or just someone who hates this country, hates religion. I don't know. I don't know. And is there more of this happening? I don't think so. I don't think there really is. I think it's more the fact that we have a 24-hour news cycle, so you have constant media coverage of things like this, you know? I'm sure that things like this happened 30, 40 years ago, and some of them uh, were documented, some weren't. It's just now, you know, I can find news from Fairmont, West Virginia, in the matter of just like that, just a second or two to find it. Uh, The fact that it may not be happening more than it used to doesn't make it any less frustrating to see when it does happen. And it's certainly absolutely uh, irritating, to say the least. Here's an interesting story about veterans from one of our uh, allies, and this is in Australia. So Virgin Airlines Australia wanted to thank veterans for their service. So the government backed a policy down there, down under, that would allow veterans to board some commercial airliners ahead of other passengers. However, some Australian military veterans have recoiled. At that policy and saying this is a political stunt, smacks of tokenism, say, no, thank you. We do not want priority boarding for that. Now, here's the thing. When you see a story like that, and I'm seeing it in the New York Times, I don't know which veterans those are who are responding. Is it everybody? Did every veteran get together and say, no, thanks. We don't want those. Or is it a veteran group that is politically aligned? We have those. I see stories like that now where you'll see like veterans are saying they don't like this or they don't like that. And then you'll read through the story and it'll be about vote vets or concerned vets for America. Two uh, political groups, one on the left and vote vets, one on the right and concerned vets for America. They speak for themselves. They speak for people that are aligned with them in some cases. They certainly don't speak for any of us. Uh, And I would say uh, if they could get me onto an aircraft faster, I'd take it. There aren't many veteran freebies that I'll take, but after sitting in some of those lines, like the last time I flew on Southwest, I, I was the last person to get on the plane both times both times, and just stood there and stood there. If I were able to get up front, I'm going to take advantage of that, whether it's because I'm a veteran, whether it's because I'm devastatingly handsome, whatever reason they want to use <laughs> for getting me onto the plane earlier, I will go ahead and take that uh, little privilege right there if I can. So, But it looks like uh, down in Australia, they've now actually canceled this program or at least are taking another look at it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing, and it shows you that, hey, People in other places are dealing with a lot of the same things that veterans here are as well. There are a lot of people who don't like the free pancakes that are coming your way this Sunday for Veterans Day. Speaking of Veterans Day, do you like my new haircut? If you're on Facebook Live, you can see it. If you're listening to this on the the stream or the podcast, you can. not But it looks fantastic. Got my haircut at Sport Clips in Elk Ridge, Maryland. And while I was doing that getting a great haircut from Tracy over there, Afterwards, I was able to give a few bucks to the Help a Hero Scholarship. Of course, we've had the VFW and uh, Sport Clips Communications Director on to talk about this program. They've been doing it annually for several years now, have raised a couple million dollars for veterans' causes. And this year, they're hoping to raise $1.5 million alone, just this year. And it goes towards the VFW's great scholarship programs. And thank you, John. I am looking sharp, aren't I? I was looking a little bit too uh, frizzy over the weekend. So I I highly recommend, if you need to get a haircut, head out to Sport Clips, you know? And no, we're not being paid to say this. I'm not a a paid spokesperson for Sport Clips or the VFW. But this program, Help a Hero, does some great things for veterans, does some great things to help people, uh, uh, you know, Get through college because the GI Bill, as fantastic as it is, doesn't always cover your full tuition. For me, it didn't cover my full tuition. I had to get scholarships. These Help a Hero scholarships can help people out with that and those who are going to grad school, law school, things like that. Let me tell you, if you know you need a haircut but you're not sure what day you want to go do it, I'll tell you exactly which day. Go on Veterans Day. That's this coming Sunday. On that day, Sport Clips will be giving a dollar on top of anything that you donate or don't donate. They'll be giving a dollar for every haircut that they do across the country at Sport Clips. So really a great program. Go get your haircut there. Get it done now if you want. You can donate as much as you want. When you check out on the little tab, you do that. Give them uh, a couple dollars goes a long way and helps some of our brothers and sisters in arms complete that secondary education. Right now, we're about to complete the first segment of Connecting Vets Daily. New name, same show. Well, at least for now. There are some format changes coming, but... Coming up next, we're going to talk to Karen Wooster, Executive Director of Reads Across America. Later, Tom Porter from IAVA. Stay right here. Welcome back to Connecting Vets Daily, brought to you by Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do. And you know why we do it? because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off that last time. The difficulties that one can face when leaving the military, the stresses... Just the change that comes with moving back into the civilian community from the military community. We know what it's like and we want to help make that transition as easy as possible. Not just when you get out, but continuing on through the rest of your life by making you aware of the amazing programs, the amazing benefits, the amazing groups that are out there to help veterans like you, like us. So. Go ahead and check out ConnectingVets.com as many times a day as you can get away with without the boss firing you. And then also follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is a regular guest on the show. He is the legislative director for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, Mr. Tom Porter. Tom, good morning. How are you today? Outstanding. Good morning, Eric. Oh, that's a little bit too much energy for a Monday, Tom. <laughs> Tone it down just Had the a coffee. little bit. Have the coffee. <laughs> oh, me too. I'm already done with my extra large Dunkin' Donuts, and I'll be moving on to the uh, the office coffee. Yeah, here. The it, traffic out there this morning is crazy. It kind of gets oh, your yeah. blood going, it, so it, I'm not asleep anymore. It does. So. No, I, I dealt with the same thing even a couple hours ago, the traffic was already horrible, because when it rains in Washington, D.C., it may as well be the apocalypse. It may as well be the end of the world. Uh, But we're not here to talk about the rain or the traffic. We're here to talk about what's going on with IAVA, and this is a busy week for your organization. Uh, one huge event that you've got coming up in New York City that I unfortunately will not be able to attend, and I'm very upset about that, is the IAVA Annual Gala, which is taking place in New York City. Uh, tell us about this event and how much you're looking forward to it.
2: Well, this is an exciting event, Eric. Uh, and as you know, uh, our membership at IAVA is, is is free. You pay for it with your service. Hmm. So we have to raise money. Uh, and this is one of our largest events of the year, the actual largest uh, it has uh, veteran uh, leaders uh, throughout the United States uh, c- coming and attending, uh, business leaders, uh, political leaders. Uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, New York's one of New York's uh, sen- uh, U.S. senators, will be there, and she'll give remarks welcoming everybody. Um, and it's, a, it's an exciting event where we talk about our successes over the last year and what we want to do in the next uh, and highlight
0: the stories of our members, many of whom are going to be in attendance. It's going to be great. And there's going to be, along with those members, some big names in attendance as well. One is a Marine who I think I might have seen when I was stationed in Afghanistan, when I was up in RC North. It was pretty rare that we saw Marines uh, on Camp Marmal, where I was based. And there was a couple, a few, during the year that I was there that I noticed one of them was big, and later on... I think it might have been Mr. Rob Riggle, of course, famous comedian uh, and comedic actor from The Hangover, The Daily Show, and many other many other places. Haven't had the pleasure of meeting him, but people who go to the gala, they're going to get to meet Rob Riggle and, and and hear him speak, right?
2: They will. It's going to be an exciting night, so always have a, a lot of uh, familiar faces there. Uh, Rob is going to be there. He's a great friend of IAVA, a uh, great friend of veterans. He is one, as you know, you just said. Yeah. Uh, usually have... Uh, a great many uh, special guests that we've had in the past, like uh, General David Petraeus, who's on our board. Henry Kissinger has been there in the past. Uh, so a lot of big names are going to be there. Uh, and and if you are unable to make our, our gala, uh, and we'd encourage you to come. If you just Google IAVA 2018 Gala, you will find out how to attend. But if you can't, we'll be Facebook uh, uh, live streaming on Facebook Live. Uh, oh, so you cool. can tune in
0: uh, for free and watch all the excitement. That's something that I might take advantage of because, again, I was invited to go, but I just couldn't have worked out worse. My wife's traveling, so I, I just can't get away. But the ability of through technology that people have to be able to attend something like that virtually is just fantastic. And considering that the IAVA membership is younger than most of the other VSOs and more technologically savvy, I imagine you'll have quite a people checking it out that way who aren't able to make it there in person.
2: Yep. Uh, and, and we even have a highlight reel from last year. You can even see what it's like now. You just just go ahead and Google IAVA 2017 Gala, uh, and then you can see the video of, of what we did. And it's going to be pretty exciting. This year is going to be a new venue at uh, New York's uh, uh, Classic Car Museum. It's just a spectacular venue. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, it's going to be really interesting for everybody in
0: attendance. That is a fantastic thing uh, that's going on up there, but it's not the only thing that you guys have going on this week because IAVA are going to be participants in the New York City Veterans Day Parade, the largest Veterans Day Parade in the country, as far as I'm aware. Uh, This is something that you've actually done before, right? You've actually been a part of that. Tom Porter, what is it like being in that Veterans Day parade in Manhattan,
2: I will tell you that in the three years I've been with IAVA, the, the very first time I was up there was 2015. Um, I did not know what to expect in Manhattan uh, on, on who who would that we could expect to come out and watch a Veterans Day parade. It wasn't quite Macy's parade, yeah. you know, but it, it, I was really surprised and impressed that you had uh, so many folks lining the street, uh, same length of a type of a uh, parade like like the Thanksgiving one um but but it, it had lots of turnout and you had many many veterans groups some that you'd never heard of before you had your VFWs and your American Legions and I was surprised to see that we IAVA was by far the largest participant we had almost a thousand marchers in that parade right. military vehicles there was a race car that that uh, that uh, we had with us uh, with IAVA on the hood uh, this was an amazing experience. Uh, the crowd was really into it. Everybody really wanted to, um, to meet the veterans in the parade. A lot of spirit going on, and I'd encourage anyone interested, if you can't uh, make that parade in Manhattan on Veterans Day on the 11th, uh, I'm sure there's one near you. Uh, so go out, celebrate Veterans Day. Uh, thank, thank the service members and those that have worn the uniform uh, for what they've done for this country, and it's, a, it's really uh, a memorable events usually. Yes.
0: When you're marching down, you know Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, when you are in New York City and being cheered on, cheered on by the crowd, uh, for the work that you did as a veteran, of course Tom is and has deployed, uh, being a member of IAVA himself, what does that feel like? Hearing those people cheer you on as you're walking down that road, what, how can you describe that feeling?
2: It's it's important because uh, as you know, uh, when you walk around on um, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, Fourth of July you hear a number of people want to want to thank you for your service and a little awkward sometimes i yeah. uh, like to feel like they have to and then others uh say it like they grew up saying it and this is a, a parade where everybody feels comfortable and and welcome and and cheering on service members and veterans and there's no awkwardness it's it's just really a lot of great spirit um and a lot of these veterans come in from hundreds of miles away um, Uh, And they say they've got to come to this every year. And so it's really, really important. Uh, We have hundreds of our members that come in every year just for this. Uh, We usually gather uh, down uh, by the Flatiron building uh, for breakfast. uh, And we uh, have speakers that uh, that come out and and get everybody motivated. We have a little breakfast. Then we all walk on over to the parade route and get ready to roll. And it's a great, great time.
0: One of the things I notice when I go to a parade, like a Veterans Day parade or a Memorial Day parade, is that those marching in the parades, those participating, tend to be older. The younger generation of veterans participates, obviously, IAVA having a huge amount of participation in the uh, the New York City Veterans Day parade, but... Why do you think it is that so many younger vets don't feel the urge or the desire to participate in those events on the local level? You know, when you go to a parade, you, you see more Vietnam veterans marching than you, you do Iraq or Afghanistan veterans. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I,
2: am not sure. I, I think everybody has their own reason. I think that the uh, post 9-11 generation uh, are typically aren't joiners. Um, they, uh, they like going to specific events. Like if they hear, team red, white, and blue is out running. They might want to go run with them. And, you know, if they want to go out with team Rubicon, uh, you know, doing some disaster response, or if they see that we're doing the tunnel of to towers run in New York city around nine 11, I mean, you don't have to be a member to participate in these things. And I think that's what a lot of what the post nine 11 generation does is they find something that interests them. They may not want to join for the long uh, but they come join us, join us when it counts, uh, You know, we'd encourage people to do more of that. Uh, And we like it when we see them come to our events, whether it be on Capitol Hill, our uh, members and others will come to do uh, to our press conferences. When we do Storm the Hill, they'll come visit congressional office with us. Um, You got veterans out in Texas that are riding uh, riding horses to treat PTSD. Uh, You've got lots of events and you can lots of different ways you can plug in.
0: There certainly are. Of course, you know, when it comes to Veterans Day, each and every one of us has our own way of celebrating it, thinking about it, remembering uh, those who we served alongside uh, and and the good times, the bad times and the in-between times. When it comes to Veterans Day, for you as a veteran, just on a personal level, what does the holiday mean to you?
2: Well, it means a lot more in recent years uh, since I've, I've become to know more and more of those that went downrange. Uh, and serve their country, and a number of folks have went two, three, four, five, and more times. Uh, so I've been much more in tune to the sacrifices that many folks, men and women, both have, have made. Um, I've got two friends, uh, uh, Grant and Jeff, that are on their way back um, serving for the Navy in Afghanistan. Uh, they're on their way home now, uh, and, and we're sending more to take their place. And so uh, I, I'm just really in touch and, and as well— uh, as I'm sure you are and others of the sacrifice everybody's made. And this is a day where we can celebrate those sacrifices um, and remember, re- remember uh, uh, places we've been, people we've served with, uh, the good and the bad
0: memories. So it's a mm-hmm. special special day. It is. And while Memorial Day is the day to specifically honor those who made the ultimate sacrifice, this is a day to remember there are a lot of other smaller sacrifices that are taking place on a daily basis still to this day. And, of course, over the last 17 years, uh, there have been many, many sacrifices made on a personal level, financial, I mean, however you want to look at it. Uh, This is a day to kind of say thank you to our fellow veterans out there and even a little bit of thank you to ourselves. There's nothing wrong with thanking yourself every once in a while, is there?
2: No, not at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I pre
2: but I do like to really show my appreciation for all those that I've served with uh, some some folks don't don't have it easy uh, most don't um, some folks come back to broken homes some folks come back to no job no house and it's it's up to the, the rest of us to help them out and get back on their feet uh, so that's all part of Veterans Day too is remembering those sacrifices and, and bringing them back up when they need it.
0: We're speaking with Tom Porter. He's the legislative director of IAVA. That's Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And Tom, uh, we are now less than 24 hours away. Well, no, I guess we're about 24 hours away, just over from the polls opening up. Of course, early voting has been taking place. There are a couple hundred veterans running for office in this election. What effect do you think those veterans might have on the upcoming legislative period, those veterans? Who are elected into office?
2: You're right. It's a it's a it's a unique time. Uh, election day is right around the corner, hours away. Uh, people are all already voting, um, and we're excited because there's just probably a record number of veterans that are running for office now. Yeah. Uh, and the impact that that could have could be it could be huge because, a, as you know, uh, the amount of veterans in Congress has been declining uh, since. Since, gosh, in the, in the 70s, it was probably around 60%, mm. and now it's much, much smaller, probably around less than a quarter. And so to have the perspective of veterans, and especially post-9-11 veterans that are in tune with the sacrifices that our generation have made, uh, and for them, uh, even though they're going to be freshmen members of Congress very junior, their perspective is going to be uh, very well respected and needed uh, when when comes time for their colleagues and their more senior colleagues to be developing policy that affects the military and our veteran community. So very important day tomorrow.
0: I don't think we'll ever get to that 60-70% level like it was back in the day just because of the the mass the sheer massive numbers of World War 2 and Korea and that's what led to uh, the number of veterans that served in Congress I mean I mean almost everybody served in World War 2 and Korea it seemed so you had a lot more of them coming back but uh, you know do you think it could be a good thing to have an actual higher percentage of representatives be veterans than are a percentage of the population where sure. we're like 15% of the population but being high Higher than that in Congress, you think that would be a good thing?
2: Uh, I'm fine with it. I mean, I mean, I'm fine with it. But those that have not served in uniform, it's still we know plenty of them that that are friendly to veterans and the military community. Uh, it's just that uh, that with all of our overseas obligations, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, Syria, uh, Horn of Africa, and all the other places we are around the world, uh, it's it's really really important to be able to have somebody in Congress that that knows what it means to send somebody downrange. Uh, that's really, really, really important because I think I think it weighs a lot heavier on their mind before we commit uh, troops somewhere instead of just uh, somebody else that might just be comfortable pushing a button. Um, they've been there, done that, and, and we we uh, need their their vision and their view in Congress.
0: And of course, one thing that they will be dealing with those who are elected. We hope in the next year is going to be the burn pits legislation, which you recently spoke to our Matt Sainsing about. There's a great story up on connectingvets.com about this. Uh, it was looking pretty good for the Burn Pits Accountability Act for this year, and now it's not looking so good for this year. I mean it's gonna have to wait till next year essentially.
2: Well we got it in we got it in late in the year. The 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 uh, the best time to to get it in something in is earlier in the year and, and we developed it a little bit later when we were looking for a way to address this problem. And we've got an uh, enormous amount of, of support on this. It's, it's growing every day almost. It's 143 co-sponsors in the House bill alone. Mm. Uh, so huge support, bipartisan support. Uh, there still might be a couple uh, opportunities towards the end of the year and some must-pass legislation. Uh, so we're preparing for both that and in the event that it, it's not successful at the end of the year, we'll start really early next year in the next Congress uh, and all those new veterans that we hope are going to be in, that's going to be a great help in getting this thing moving.
0: What is it that that causes something like this to be delayed when it has that widespread support? When it has 143 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives, 10 in the Senate. I mean, that's that's 10% of the Senate right there. It would seem to the layman, and I'll be the layman in this case, like a sure thing. Like, obviously, this is going to get through. It's got support, bipartisan support in the House and in the Senate. What's the reasoning for it not getting forward? Does it just need to wait its turn? Is it as simple as that?
2: Well, I'll, I'll say that legislation is never easy. Um, uh, the only thing that moves fast is when Congress is behind on something and, and they have to react in an emergency. Uh, most pieces of legislation take years to pass. Uh, this shouldn't be that way. Um, when we got this introduced, the natural vehicle would be the the giant bill that the that, uh, that, uh, authorizes everything that the Pentagon does every year, the National Defense Authorization Act. And that's usually the vehicle for all of these type of, of bills. Uh, but usually a uh, uh, legislation like this should have a, a hearing record by, by that point so that they can say, well, there's nothing controversial with that. It looks great. And so then that would make it able to be included a lot easier into that NDAA. It had not had a hearing yet. It had just been introduced when the bills were f- almost all final. Uh, so this is going to be a significant situation uh, it's going to be significantly different this year, um, the end of this year and the beginning of next, because you've got a demonstrated widespread and bipartisan support. And we've got the bill sponsors, uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Brian Mast and Amy Klobuchar, and, uh, and Senator Sullivan over in the Senate side, who are going to be pushing for uh, hearings in both the uh, House Armed Services, the Armed Services Committees and the Veterans Committees to, to get a hearing record and then start start fresh and good push to start the year out.
0: Could the election play a role in kind of restarting the clock on this thing? What I mean is you have Representatives Gabbard and Mass. They're both up for re-election. It's not a sure thing that either one of them is going to get back into office. If the people who are sponsoring it and supporting it are not elected back into office, do you then need to start over and find new sponsors?
2: Well, there, out of this long list of co-sponsors that we've got, I, it, I'm pretty... Odds are that not all of them are coming back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that our sponsors are are, are sitting pretty good. Um, and so we're already talking about moving forward to the next year. Uh, so I, I don't I don't see any problems with that. Yes, we're going to have to go back out to the current co-sponsors. If this doesn't pass by the end of this year, we'll have to go back out to that same group. And some of those aren't going to be in there anymore. So we're going to have to do a lot more education. You're going to have a huge turnover in Congress this time around with all the retirements and people that have lost their primaries, a lot of them, uh, maybe a record amount of them, I think, are, are not coming back. And so we're going to have to reach out to them uh, day one. Uh, each of the new members of Congress, usually it's custom it's custom f- for the first day back when they get sworn in to have an open house in their office. And mm. so they where they welcome constituents in, in, in town, brand new staffers, where you get a chance to come on in and, and meet the, the new member of Congress before they get into the the, uh, the congressional mode where they've been there a while. And so
0: it's an important time. It absolutely is. And we're speaking with Tom Porter, Legislative Director of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, a.k.a. IAVA. Anytime I hear about something not happening uh, and being pushed out, particularly in a case like the burn pits, I get worried that this is a kicking the can down the road situation, much like we saw with the Agent Orange uh, Blue Water Navy benefits, which were now several decades removed from when they should have been receiving those benefits, and they still aren't to this day. Uh, do you worry about that, or is that something that where you can allay my fears and say that's definitely not going to happen with this one?
2: No, I feel real confident about this. I mean, just the amount of co-sponsors has been been showing up on the bill is it's great, and we're getting great feedback, and then – I know we've talked to you about it in the past. Our storm the hills that we do every quarter, where we have members come in from all around the country. Well, what we do is we set up meetings on Capitol Hill, and and we have them meet with their members of Congress. And we we've, we've uh, we're seeing that when they meet with their members of Congress, and their constituent is is asking them to co sponsor legislation that's important to them. We're getting a really good uh, turnaround and and good results uh, of co-sponsors on our bill, especially on the burn pits when their constituents come in. So we're going to keep doing more of that Uh, and we're probably going to see another storm the hill in December uh, time frame. And we'll see our members come back and we'll keep going back and back and back to the House and Senate until we get this thing done.
0: If you were a betting man would your prediction be like early next year it'll get through late next year it'll get through. When do you think it, we, we have the best chance of seeing uh, the burn pit accountability act uh, actually make it through and get voted on and maybe be put into uh, put into action?
2: Well, I don't want to guess on the exact date because there's a lot of different possibilities. I mean, general, a lot of frames. possibilities. <laughs> what, what we'd like to be able to see is this move along with the, the national defense authorization act that usually passes around, you know, three quarters of the way through the year. Um, but we've we, we got to walk before we can run on this. We need a hearing record. And so we're pushing for a, a hearing. We've actually had an oversight hearing uh, by the House Veterans Affairs Committee. And what that means to the folks out there is that the hearing is on the issue and what the government is doing about it, uh, not on the specific bill. So we had an oversight hearing that I testified, uh, that I testified on that really got the interest of, of the, both sides on the committee And so you have to do stuff like that to be able to get people's attention, and also uh, you got to be mindful of of that they had an enormous amount on their plate uh, to get through this year. That were the big priorities for veterans issues, the Mission Act that we've talked about that consolidates all of the the community care, the choice program reforms, all that. That was an enormous effort that took up all the oxygen in the room, Hmm. uh, where. They got that done. There was the appeals reform um, at VA got, got done. The VA Accountability Act, that we, we campaigned on all of these issues, and these were massive bills. So uh, I know the burn pits thing is is important to so many people. It's important to us. Um, but, yes, it had to, to wait in line behind these giant behemoths that that so many of the older veterans and all of the veterans groups were pushing for as well. So I think this is the next big thing. We've heard them say that. And so I've got co- good confidence that we're going to get this across the finish line in the next year.
0: If people have something, a piece of legislation that means a lot to them, whether it's this burn pit legislation, whether it's marijuana, uh, the, the medical testing on that, what is the best course of action to make sure that their congressional representatives know how they feel about it and to actually be able to maybe get in front of them either physically or with uh, a letter? I mean, what, what are the, what's the best way that someone should go about letting their representatives know?
2: Well, I know it's hard for it's hard for a lot of people. I do this for a living, and so if I want to get a hold of a, a congressional office, I, I know how to pick up the phone or schedule an appointment or find them online. Uh, but it's not easy for everybody, and so. Uh, but uh, the most important thing for you to do is contact them uh, and and ask for an appointment. Ask for when the next time that they're going to be out in your in your city uh, and. Most of the time, if it's a good member of Congress, they will schedule a time for the next time, or you can meet with their staff, or uh, come come to Washington, D.C., and we will help you schedule an appointment with your member of Congress. Um, we also have Storm the Hill for our members. Membership is free, like I said before. If you just go to iava.org, you can be a, a veteran from any era. Join for free, and you can use uh, our Take Action tool and you can find that by Googling IAVA Take Action. It'll take you straight to a page, makes it easy for you. You can see our top legislative priorities. takes less than a minute, and it will send a letter to your member of Congress and your two senators, and you can share exactly how you feel with them. Uh, that's the easy way. But, again, uh, nothing substitutes for personal interaction with your congressional delegation, and you should reach out today Uh, and share your opinion on anything that's before Congress.
0: Just be civil and nice about it. We've got enough people yelling at Congress members in Washington, (laughs) D.C. right Right now. The way
2: to do it is not screaming at them, No,
0: not screaming at them in a
2: restaurant. Uh, (laughs) Call them, ask for an appointment, have a discussion. They
0: like it when constituents do that. They do. And, of course, IAVA likes it when their membership and constituents show up to their wonderful events like the gala. Tom, very quickly, if people are interested in attending that gala in New York or watching the live stream, where do they go to find out more information about it?
2: On our website. And the best way to do just the easy thing is Google IAVA 2018 gala. and It'll take you right to the page. It'll show you all of our special guests. Uh, Colbert is headlining it. Uh, they're going to we're going to have lots of of, of familiar faces for you to see and meet Uh, and again if you can't if you can't uh, join us there in person uh, you'll be able to see it on facebook
0: live um, on the 8th of november tom porter legislative director for iava thank you so much for joining us once again we really appreciate your time thanks eric our next guest is the executive director of an amazing program that's been doing fantastic things for many years now. I mean, we're talking well over two decades that Wreaths of America has been doing their amazing thing. And right now, Karen Wooster, executive director of Reads Across America, is with us today. Karen, good morning. How are you today?
3: Good morning. I'm great. Great. It's uh, nice and cold here in Maine, but uh, the things are heating up for Wreaths Across America, and we're, we're getting very excited for the upcoming season.
0: Well, let's talk about Wreaths Across America, and first, let's talk about where the program originally came from. Of course, you and your husband are, are kind of the ones who, who developed Wreaths Across America and the ones who run it. Where did the initial idea for the program originate?
3: Well, I think it's it's given us too much credit to say that we actually developed it because uh, wreaths across America came to be um, in uh, 1992. We, we're, our family's been in the wreath business forever, and uh, we had a surplus of wreaths that year. And my husband um, w- recalled a trip that he had won as a as a 12 year old paper boy to Arlington uh, National Cemetery and being a very patriotic man and very grateful for, you know, all that our family had. He thought it would be a nice way for our family to say thank you if he could take some of those surplus wreaths down to Allenton, and place them on the on the graves um, of the veterans. And uh, he made a few calls. Olympia Snow um, was you know, active even then in politics, and she made a couple calls, and we got permission to take 5,000 wreaths to Arlington National Cemetery, and uh, it changed our lives, um, and we went for many years, you know, my husband, after that first year when he and my sons went down, and they would place these wreaths, and you just couldn't help but read the name as you placed the wreath, because it was such a personal thing, and So we did it for years and years. We had the help of, you know, about 10 volunteers that were from the Maine State Society down there in D.C. And um, then one year, it was 2005, um, a Pentagon photographer took a picture of what we were doing, and it went viral on the Internet, and uh, it it changed life quite drastically by... um, by January of two thousand and six, uh, my husband who's right to this day, has never answered an email. He has an email address for business, but <laughs> he had literally four or five thousand emails uh, people wanted to get involved and um people wanted to share stories and and uh you know military families and gold staff families and veterans that you know, wanted to know if this was true and wanted to know not only how they could get involved, but why they thought it was important. So with all those things coming together, that's how Reads Across America evolved. So it it wasn't something we planned to do. It was something that we did for our family to show gratitude. And then when it was discovered, um, we listened carefully to others and formed the mission to remember, honor, and teach and uh last year we placed over a million and a half wreas at over fourteen hundred locations so it is it is growing in leaps and bounds and uh we're we're very excited to have the opportunity to to try to keep up with it.
0: Going from that initial 5,000 to over a million is incredible. When you think back to that first year that Wreaths Across America took place at Arlington National Cemetery, uh, putting down those individual wreaths, as you said, and taking in uh, the individual graves in that personal moment, did you have a chance at the end of that first year to step back and see those 5,000 wreaths that you put down? And, and what kind of feeling did you have uh, once you were done placing those wreaths on the sites of those heroes at Arlington?
3: Well, I didn't because I stayed home and my husband and took my uh, sons and uh, um, a a trucking company volunteered to take those wreaths down. But when he came home, um, he talked a little bit about how beautiful it was, but he kept saying names. He'd say, I read this name and he was 20 or I read this name. And, you know, just he it just stuck with him. It, it, it was so different than he even he expected it to be. How personal it was, and then, you know, he'd say, "Well, look and see if you can find this person, uh, find anything about this service," and and then it, we just decided, you know, as long as they'll let us do this, our family is going to do this, and so we we just did it, and it and it was wonderful. You know, our children all got to do it, and it. It was at our busiest time of year, but it was the most important thing we could do at that time of year because we we appreciate our freedom, and I think that's what other people get out of it. They About 90% of the wreaths that we place are sponsored by a family member who can't get to a cemetery to place a wreath or, you know, an older person. So it's not decorating graves. These people that go and volunteer – they're going to do a, deliver a personal gift, and that makes it so personal. And what's so important about that is when it becomes personal, you put it in perspective that these are lives, these are, this isn't uh, just a number. This is somebody who served, who sacrificed, who maybe didn't die in combat, but was a veteran and, and had that honor to, to carry that name to their grave. And then you get to talk about who they are, what they did, and teach the next generation that this is a person, this is a sacrifice, and this is the future. Because the character of that individual is how we need to shape our kids going into the next generation.
0: Karen, when we look at that iconic image that went viral in 2005 at Arlington, you see the gravestones and you see the wreaths with one simple red bow on them. What do you think it is about those wreaths with that one red bow? It's a very simple gesture. It's, it's, it's very uh, obviously a splash of color on something that's otherwise white. What do you think it is about the wreath in particular that sticks out to people and really draws their attention and caused that image to go viral?
3: I You know I think when people see the iconic picture it's the the vastness of numbers and the silence and the you know that it's that time of year when people are i mean let's just face it people are kinder and more aware of of being united and being kind to each other and everything that time of year so when you see that it's is the vastness of it, but what strikes me is when you step away from it being this Many, 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 and you focus in on the one, and then you realize that the many is is formed by individuals, and I think that's that's what sticks with people. It makes it personal. It's a very personal thing, and and uh, there's something about when you go into a cemetery. Um, and I actually had a ghost uh, mother explain this one day that if she she didn't know that there were. Re- place where her son was buried and she went to go to the cemetery on the way home from work and she was kind of you know in that mood you know you go through the motion of things so she got to the cemetery and she walked in through and she didn't notice the wreath and when she got to her son's grave and she dropped to her knees and there was this wreath and the wreath smelled of greenery and it and it just represented life to her and the circular with no ending and the you know, the red bowl that represented the, the gift that he had given and and it meant so much to her that this was like a living gift that somebody had brought. They had taken the time to remember her son. And I I think that's it. I think it's a catalyst. The wreath is just a catalyst to to remember and have that opportunity to make it personal. But it it does mean a lot to a lot of people. And um You know, people always ask me as an executive director, you know, do you have a business plan? We really don't. We grow at about 30% every year because when people go and participate and they take and place a wreath and they read that name and they make that connection, um, they want to do it again. And many times they'll go to a place like Arlington And then go back to where they live and take it to their own cemetery because we have a lot of growth in, in small community cemeteries because Reeds Across America goes wherever a veteran is buried.
0: Of course, it started off with 5,000 wreaths at Arlington. Now you've got over 1,000 locations across the country, over a million wreaths last year. And as you said, it continues to expand. If people are interested in joining in with Wreaths Across America and taking part in this amazing endeavor, how do they go about doing so and what are some of the ways that they can help out?
3: Well, we always need volunteers to place the wreaths, but we also need volunteers to sponsor the wreaths. And you know one of the the largest areas of growth again that we have are people giving the gift of remembrance and if you go to wreathacrossamerica.org, you can actually uh place a wreath for somebody as a holiday gift so they the wreath is placed in their honor and you can send a card that that says so and we have a few corporate sponsors that do that for the people that work for them for them and then they go out together into the closest cemetery in Place Reese. it's a true gift of remembrance. It's one of the most important things you can do for your family. You know, last year at Arlington, we had 90,000 people at just Arlington. We had over 2 million volunteers nationwide last year, and a third of them were kids. People are walking away. They go to give and they walk away having gotten more than they gave. And that's a very special thing you can do for your family. You can do for your company. And just go to wreathacrossamerica.org. You'll see how to sponsor a wreath. You can sponsor uh, for any one of our uh, more than 1,400 locations. You can do it in somebody's Honor and somebody's name, if you like to. Or if you can't afford to sponsor a wreath, you can find one of those locations and go out and help Lay wreaths and, and take a friend, take a veteran because um, you serve as a veteran yourself and thank you for your service. But you know how important it is that we remember those that served and that the 99% of us that sleep safe at a sound at night because of the 1% of you that gave. That's important that we, we get together and have each other's backs.
0: It absolutely is. And of course, we've been speaking with Karen Worcester, Executive Director of Wreaths Across America. Karen, for those who would like to start planning for it, when is the Wreaths Across America Wreath Lane going to be taking place this year?
3: It's December 15th, and we we. Try to do this simultaneously. So most of the uh, wreath lands and different cemeteries um, either begin or end at 12 noon. So if you go to your local, if you want to go to wreathcrossamerica.org, look at locations, look for the cemetery closest to you, and it will say the starting time. Um, and uh, give you information how you can reach out locally to see what's going on um, around that event. And by chance, if Wreaths Across America is not in your area, it's easy to sign up. We donate ceremonial wreaths for people just getting started, wreaths to represent each branch of the military plus POW, MIA. There's a way to get involved. And, um, you know, I I was interviewing a a Gold Star mother one time, and I said, why do you participate in Reads Across America? And she said, why wouldn't everybody? And I think that's how we feel about it, that do it. So we just hope everybody will come out and join us on December 15th.
0: We've been speaking with Karen Worcester, Executive Director of Wreaths Across America. And Karen, thank you so much to you and the entire nationwide team of Wreaths Across America for the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, It's truly a beautiful thing that's going on and continues to get bigger and bigger. And man, does it make me happy to see that. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you, sir. You're listening to Connecting Vets Daily. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Phil Briggs now joining me in studio. The bird dog, Phil, speaking with Karen about wreaths across America. Just such a great story. How it started off so Mm -hmm. small. How it was just her husband and her wanting to do something to recognize the sacrifices veterans had made. A couple hundred wreaths at Arlington builds into a couple thousand wreaths at Arlington builds into hundreds of thousands of wreaths, millions of wreaths across the world in the span of, I mean, 10 plus years, basically not that long. Kind of heartwarming to see that a family in the wreath industry, an industry that most of us probably don't think about so much, able to use what they are and who they are in such a positive way to do something so simple that's so meaningful for the veteran community.
1: Yeah. It reminds me also of the other industry that we see that's really grown exponentially. And it happens in the summertime talking about the flags around the 4th of July. Mm. And it's kind of cut from the same template or it used the same template as wreaths across America. Uh, the gentleman out of Florida and I, I, excuse me for not knowing his name off the top of my head, but he is founded it in that retirement community outside Orlando. That's like one of the like second largest or largest veteran retirement communities in the country per capita. Uh, they do hundreds of thousands of flags every July on what started as just cemeteries and national cemeteries in the greater Florida, Orlando area. And now it's grown to, you know, uh, seven states and Arlington and all of these initiatives, whether it's wreaths or the flags, um, kind of an, just a sweet stories and and really economic success stories with kind of an unintended consequence, because I know the intention was just to give a sincere honor to veterans and right. those that gave, you know, their ultimate sacrifices. And it ends up being kind of an economic story as well. Cause like you said, boom and wreath industry, there's uh, tree farms and stuff around these surrounding areas that are making the wreaths that are growing. Uh, there's flag makers and the, and the volunteers that, you know, staple and put them all together. I mean, it's, it's really cool.
0: Right. But of course, for their company, which uh, I want to make sure that I get it right. Uh, there you go. The Worcester Wreath Company of Harrington, Maine. This isn't something they don't make, they donate their wreaths. I mean, they're just giving these wreaths to uh, people to uh, to bring down there. And now it's spread uh, outside of the country. It's gotten to um, you know outside of the United States uh, as well for our veteran cemeteries mm-hmm. overseas in Puerto Rico and other places. And one of the most interesting things about this is for all of the bad that seems to come out of the internet these days, whether it's some god-awful tweet or some fake group posing as veterans on Facebook, it was the internet that kind of made this happen. In 2005, a photographer took a picture at Arlington of the wreaths placed on the, uh, the the gravestones and, and mm-hmm. here you can see Phil I mean it is just I'm showing Phil the picture right oh, now yeah no right picture it's, went
1: viral it's it's a touching picture you got the snow you've got the green of the wreaths the red bow the marble headstone kind of just geometric lines that are formed of all the rows and 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 everything looking exact and precise like the you know just a really cool photograph would have
0: yeah, and it just shows the power of something positive because, you know, for all the negative stuff out there, you'll see some negative tweet and everybody's all outraged for a couple of days and then it goes away. This photo getting out there, this photo going viral over, well, this was 2005, so really Facebook and mm-hmm. MySpace and, and really just uh, on websites across the country – this has had a lasting positive impact. And that's, I think, one thing we can take away from this is you can hate the Internet. You can hate a lot of things about the Internet. But when something has a positive impact like this, it seems to be more lasting and more effective than all the negative garbage that you see on there each and every day that people are, again, outraged over for you know, a couple of days, a couple of minutes, whatever, and then they move on uh, from that. Uh, this is uh, kind of a heartwarming story there. Of course, as Karen told us, you know, they, they also want wanted to to spread this to other areas, but they, financially, it just didn't make sense to donate thousands of wreaths to each state. They would go out of business very quickly if they did that. They did begin sending seven wreaths to every state, one for each branch of the military and for POWs and MIAs. It's it's just to see how something so simple grew into something so big and so meaningful that now, I mean, we're going to see probably somewhere over a million wreaths laid this year across the country and around the world through wow. this program. Something that started off uh, just so, so small and grew to be so massive in 2014. They reached their goal of covering Arv- Arlington National Cemetery. That's 226,525 wreaths laid at Arlington National Cemetery. And then, of course, they're going to do that again this year and then around the world. I mean, you're talking tons and tons of wreaths and really just uh, something that a family that wanted to recognize veterans. Don't, don't you know, Moral uh, Worcester is not a, a veteran himself, but he wanted to do something for veterans. You know, he wanted to to make sure that veterans know that yeah, there are people out there that care and those wreaths, they certainly show that they do. Of course, Wreaths Across America is taking place in December. You can go to wreathsacrossamerica.org to find out more about the Worcesters, more about the the organization. They're also on social media. Search Wreaths Across America and look for their official page. There's a whole bunch of smaller pages out there. Maybe the local one for you that you want to click into. Uh, Definitely some good stuff to check out there. This kind of runs counter to a new story that we were talking about earlier today Phil and that's in West Virginia at the um, oh geez I lost the page now but <laughs> it is uh, a church in West Virginia had a, uh, a setup on their property flags and crosses to honor the veterans of the area who had given their lives someone drove their truck or car vehicle whatever through those cross and flags and knocked down a whole bunch of them you know for <laughs> For all the good stuff that people are doing out there, you know, there are many, 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 many thousands times more people that'll be participating in wreaths across America. All it takes is one jerk with a car. And that's the headline, you know? That's the headline today, not yeah. wreaths across America. It's that there's some jerk in West Virginia who thought it would be uh, a good idea or thought it would be fun or funny. I don't know what he was thinking, she was thinking, whoever it was. And it, it wasn't was.
1: just a traffic accident, or it wasn't just no, like, this I was, mean, it was... this was
0: like the yard at a church that someone drove through and intentionally mowed down crosses and flags set up to honor veterans who gave their lives. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's, again, there's the internet thing for you. We see that story from a small town in west virginia i believe fairmont west virginia it's called we see that story and that sets off an alarm in our head more so than the good story but here's the thing wreaths across america it'll still be going on next year and the year after that the year after that jerk running over flags and crosses at that church in west virginia this is the only time they're going to let him get away with that or her get away with that i don't want to be sexist here Wanted to get your thoughts on something, Phil, that we also talked about earlier in the show where Saturday Night Live, a show that is still on the air for some reason, uh, was apparently mocking friend of uh, Connecting Vets Daily, a former guest of the show. Dan Crenshaw, medically retired Navy SEAL, lost one eye, almost lost the other, almost lost his life to an IED in Afghanistan. Uh, Pete Davidson, who lost his father in the September 11th terrorist attacks, his father was a fireman in New York City. Uh, mocking Dan Crenshaw for his looks, saying he looked like uh, a hitman from a porno movie and then saying, that, you know, okay, bad joke there. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, that's kind of Pete Davidson stock and trade is making silly jokes like that that aren't that great. But anyway, right,
1: right. he then says like, yeah. Notice I didn't laugh at
0: all. Either. No, you like, stayed, and was, you laugh at just about anything. There was zero really. laughter. You're, you laugh at dad jokes legitimately, not ironically. And then said, yeah, 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 I know he lost his eye in war or whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, come on, man. What do you think about that when you have uh, the the son of someone who lost their life in the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001, them mocking one of the uh, men who went over there to fight against the people that allowed that to happen? And again, this is Afghanistan that we're talking about. That's where Dan Crenshaw lost his eye. We're not talking about Iraq. That's a separate conversation that people can have. Afghanistan, the Taliban supported Osama bin Laden. He was in. He was given safe harbor in Afghanistan where he planned the attacks from. What do you think about that? And do you think the fact that his father was killed on September 11th gives him any kind of a pass, as some people seem to be suggesting on social media?
1: No. And in fact, I think if – well, I, I guess the two things I thought when I saw that headline um, Sunday morning, which – you know, again, talk about the internet going dark and the dark stealing the light. I thought, Christ, here we go again. they're they're doing it again. They're making inappropriate jokes, and now everyone's running to be offended. But when I saw it, I was like, yeah, there is every reason to be pissed off. And I thought, one, the high road Dan Crenshaw took on Twitter. amazing. Oh, yeah. He didn't say a bleep or f bleep or s bleep or any number I of, of name calling that I would have done had it been me. They were chiding on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. He took a really high ground and just said we shouldn't be you know veterans shouldn't be used as pawns for comedy for a politically charged comedy skit or or something of, of that nature. And I don't have his tweet in front of me, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Follow it. Look up Dan Crenshaw on Twitter and you'll see a kind of humility and a kind of reservation that I hope gets elected to public office because he didn't fly off the handle. He kept it very Mm. humble and took the high ground when he really could have let him have it. And two, the other takeaway I had was – do you remember when he was in here? When we did our podcast with him, Eric, it was so funny and so – like there was true comedy gold in what he was sharing with us and I'll never forget it. And this is where I think SNL should try harder to find the funnier part of the sketch – Find a funnier joke. When I asked him about his eye and the trident, the Navy SEAL trident he has in his eye. His and glass he, eye, and, right. And I was like, was like man, that is, that is incredibly cool. But I got to admit, man, that's intimidating as hell. Like, you're kind of scaring me, dude. But tell me a little bit more about the eye. And as we got into it, I learned... It's not just one glass eye with the Navy SEAL trident. He has a navy blue one. He has a white one. He has a black one. He has a, like them in different colors. And he joked with me and he's like, you know, as I think about it now, I wonder why more people don't have more eyes. I mean, we really <laughs> should have options with our eyes. Yeah. And I thought how funny that was. I could see like the Dan Crenshaw, you know, Dan Crenshaw glass eye store. Call 1-800. And he's like kind of, you know, self-deprecating and having fun with himself. At yeah. the same time, that could be a that could be funny. But instead, SNL had to just go with the BS juvenile routine and make it what they did, and and a lot of people saying, of course, they went harder after
0: uh, Crenshaw because he's a conservative, and you know all of that stuff. So. Yeah, juvenile.
1: But I'm just saying, yeah. like, the, making it a politically charged kind of thing was juvenile. That was the low hanging fruit, and they could have done, they could have yeah. worked harder to make a funnier joke they and could've. a really more respectful bit.
0: But uh, from what I've seen from SNL over the last oh, ten years or so, they haven't been working too hard. They just go for that low hanging fruit and yeah. have a lot more misses than they have hits. Well, you're listening to. Connecting Vets Daily here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is what we do. Follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hope you have a great day, and we will see you again tomorrow. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Haya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician.